Avoidance in Holy Drag, an Introduction to Spiritual Bypassing. Spiritual bypassing, a term first coined by psychologist John Wellwood in 1984, is the use of spiritual practices and beliefs to avoid dealing with our painful feelings, unresolved wounds, and developmental needs. It is much more common than we might think and, in fact, is so pervasive as to go largely unnoticed except in its more obvious extremes. Part of the reason for this is that we tend not to have very much tolerance, either personally or collectively, for facing, entering, and working through our pain, strongly preferring pain-numbing quote-unquote solutions, regardless of how much suffering such remedies may catalyze. Because this preference has so deeply and thoroughly infiltrated our culture that it has become all but normalized, spiritual bypassing fits almost seamlessly into our collective habit of turning away from what is painful as a kind of higher analgesic with seemingly minimal side effects. It is a spiritualized strategy not only for avoiding pain, but also for legitimizing such avoidance in ways ranging from the blatantly obvious to the extremely subtle. Spiritual bypassing is a very persistent shadow spirituality, shadow of spirituality, manifesting in many forms, often without being acknowledged as such. Aspects of spiritual bypassing include exaggerated detachment, emotional numbing and repression, overemphasis on the positive, anger phobia, blind or overly tolerant compassion, weak or too porous boundaries, lopsided development, cognitive intelligence often being far ahead of emotional and moral intelligence, debilitating judgment about one's negativity or shadow side, devaluation of the personal relative to the spiritual, and delusions of having arrived at a higher level of being. The explosion of interest in spirituality since the mid-1960s, especially Eastern spirituality, has been accompanied by a corresponding interest and immersion in spiritual bypassing, which has, however, not very often been named, let alone viewed as such. It has been easier to frame spiritual bypassing as a religion-transcending, spiritually advanced practice or perspective, especially in the fast-food spirituality epitomized by faddish phenomena like The Secret. My apologies to my publisher. Some of the more glaringly facile features, such as drive through servings of reheated wisdom like don't take it personally, or whatever bothers you about someone is really only about you, or it's all just an illusion, are available for consumption and parroting by just about anyone. Happily, the honeymoon with false or spiritual notions of spirituality is starting to wane. Enough bubbles have been burst, enough spiritual teachers, Eastern and Western, have been caught with pants or halo down, enough cults have come and gone, enough time has been spent with spiritual baubles, credentials, energy transmissions, guru-centrism, and to sense deeper treasures. But valuable as the desire for a more authentic spirituality is, such change will not occur on any significant scale and really take root until spiritual bypassing is outgrown. And that is not as easy as it might sound, for it asks that we cease turning away from our pain, numbing ourselves, and expecting spirituality 
to make us feel better. Okay, addicts, listen up to this next paragraph. True spirituality is not a high, not a rush, not an altered state. It has been fine to romance it for a while, but our times call for something far more real, grounded, and responsible. Something radically alive and naturally integral. Something that shakes us to our very core until we stop treating spiritual deepening as something to dabble in here and there. Authentic spirituality is not some flicker or buzz of knowingness, not a psychedelic blast through or a mellow hanging out on some exalted plane of consciousness, not a bubble of immunity, but a vast fire of liberation, an exquisite fitting crucible and sanctuary, providing both heat and light for the healing and awakening we need. Last paragraph. Most of the time, we're immersed in spiritual bypassing. We like the light, but not the heat. And when we're caught up in the grosser forms of spiritual bypassing, we'd usually much rather theorize about the frontiers of consciousness than actually go there, suppressing the fire rather than breathing it even more alive, espousing the ideal of unconditional love, but not permitting love to show up in its more challenging personal dimensions. To do so would be too hot, too scary and too out of control, bringing things to the surface that we have long disowned or suppressed. But if we really want the light, we cannot afford to flee the heat. As Viktor Frankl said, what gives light must endure burning. And being with the fire's heat doesn't just mean sitting with the difficult stuff in meditation, but also going into it trekking to its core, facing and entering and getting intimate with whatever is there, however scary or traumatic or sad or raw. Well, if you've read any of my books or listened to me talk about this kind of stuff before, you're already aware that this has really been my problem with spiritual groups since the beginning. I mean, early days, I remember going to, uh, I think it was called the Center for Spiritual Awareness in Los Gatos, California, when I was first sober in the mid-80s. And I, I really dug the message, you know, I really dug the, um, you know, when they quoted Paramahansa Yogananda and Christ and all this different stuff, you know, and Buddha, I was like, yeah deep. I'm really into the message, you know. But there's this sort of like a weird glazed over look in people's eyes, you know, and they're kind of, the way they, the way they um, ask for money, you know, is really weird. And I saw, you know, one of the, one of the, um, like sort of the, the, the current versions of this is Michael Beckwith. If you, if you know who he is, he's, he's one of the, he's the dreadlock guy from the, uh, from the secret black guy, uh, He's a preacher, you know, the Pentecostal Pentecostal style fire and brimstone style spe uh, speaker preacher, but he actually, um, you know, preaches a kind of a new age kind of oneness pantheistic sort of message, you know, like it's all one. It's the source, it's the secret, it's all that kind of stuff, you know. Nothing new, just kind of rehashed, you know, re repackaged, really represented, you know. Uh, represented, represented. So, anyways, if you if you if you check out his his sermons, you know, he's got this whole show 
and a really big presentation. I mean, there's like layers, like rows of, of choir people singing uh, in different colored robes. It's all color coordinated and the light show is like, you know, Led Zeppelin or something, you know. And these little and these these children come out like wearing these country dresses with these big baskets with white linen and it's like it's time for offering, you know. And people just fill these baskets with money, you know. It's really amazing to me. It's, it's really unbelievable to watch, you know. Um there's always it's always bothered me a little bit, you know, about the how spiritual is spiritual and, and you know when you go to other places there are like there's no um, there's no request for money you know and um, I mean this talk isn't about money but I'm just saying it, in general when you go it, it sort of makes a group sort of suspect right when they're asking for money I mean but the, the reality of it is is that you do have to pay the rent and then things do you know Wherever you're gathering costs money. Nobody wants to give you their space for free and so on. But there's kind of a, there's kind of a way of doing it, kind of an authentic way, and a kind of a kind of a kind of a shaky way, shady way, you know, kind of a using the spiritual vibe and the the the, the effusive sort of emotional energy of the moment to ask for uh, for the money. Anyways, we just did our retreat and uh, uh, up at Brighton Bush Hot Springs. I think it was like our seventh one or something and. You know, at the end, I used to have people, I used to have people, like, say, ask for me, like, you know, well, you guys, here's time for Donna, the, the contribution, you know, and so forth. And um, I, Basically, I just go like this, you know, you guys, um, we price the retreat low, and we really don't come out too far ahead on it without your support. And a lot of times we give stuff away. We do our best to accommodate everybody. It all costs money. We advertise it. That costs money. We print stuff. There's hidden costs, and so on and so forth. So, you know, your contributions are um, appreciated. I mean, that's the straight deal. I mean, that's the truth. It's not like couched in some, and now is our opportunity to um, practice generosity because we're so spiritual, you know. I mean, I don't know. So, I mean, the reality is, you know, it ain't free, but, um, you know, why layer it within these, you know, terms, make it more of a sales pitch, really. Anyways, so the, the whole idea of spiritual bypassing, you know, and, and being in these groups as, a, as an addict, as a recovering addict, you know, this is, the, this is kind of the main point, if not one of my main points, you know, forever, is that, you know, when you go into a group and people are kind of like all, oh, you know, they're like, especially yoga studios, you know, and stuff, when you go to class and they're like, oh, they're all glazed over, you know. And, I mean, maybe people are authentically nice and, or, or something, but, I mean, I kind of always have this weird, creepy feeling like, like behind that veneer of sort of pseudo-compassion is a selfish, narcissistic person. And I'm not just trying to be, you know, negative or untrusting or pessimistic. I just, you know, if you try to have a conversation with people or if you watch them, you know, you can tell people who are, like, authentically, you know, wise and, and generous and spiritual. Um, they have a tendency to not pull punches and to not, not be full of shit, you know, and to not be fake. <laughs> so, you know, it's like you see a lot of this sort of fake stuff, you know, around around spiritual circles and, and so forth. 
and this is really the reason why I wrote the Twelve Step Buddhist, and, and and one of the one of the big reasons why, because I'm trying to integrate and understand, you know, what is it like in recovery? You know, we have, um, like this author says here. I just I read from the book Spiritual Bypassing. Um, you know, like he says, we like the light but not the heat. You know, we'd much rather theorize about the frontiers of consciousness than actually go there, suppressing the fire rather than breathing it even more alive. Like, if you have the guts to do a fourth step inventory, if you have the guts to walk into your recovery and to step in and say, I'm powerless over my drugs of choice, and this is the humiliating shit that I've done to myself and others. You know, start writing about how you have destroyed your relationships and how you've been a liar, a cheat, and a thief. Right, and it's not to be like overly self-negative or like, you know, like like layer on the self-loathing and the shame even more deeply. I mean, we have it. You know, my old sponsor used to say, "We're you know alcoholics are drunks with a conscience." You know, but when you start to look at your life and get really honest like that, and and, and I think we won't do it unless we have to. You know, we won't do it unless we have a um, like Irving Goffman used to talk about this. You have a life-changing situation, you know, a death in the family, a traumatic experience, a, a, a you know, life-threatening illness, recovery from addiction, this kinds of things. You know, you become willing to go to any lengths. If you're willing to go to any lengths, you start looking at yourself and getting deep. Okay, so that is a necessary prerequisite to spiritual development, in my experience and opinion, right? It's the necessary prerequisite to get real about the Dharma, if you want to talk Dharma, right? But it's not sufficient in the long run. And, you know, there are the layers and layers that we have to go through, you know, deepening, deepening. Boy, it's really deep, you know. The pain is really deep. I mean, at least it is for me and, and what I see in people who I think have been there. If you look, you know, if you have a, the chance to look into the eyes of the Dalai Lama if he passes through your town or... If you really check out, you know, there's the, the, the texture of Thich Nhat Hanh's voice as he talks. or You listen to Pema Chodron. Some of these, you know, really well-known, really well-loved and respected spiritual teachers, you know. There's a wisdom there that's not superficial, you know. They've paid their dues. They've been into the pain. They've gone into it and breathed it even more alive, right? What gives light must endure burning. And uh, I think that a lot of people have a long way to go that don't come in through a serious, you know, having a really good, strong motivation, a really deep suffering, you know. I mean, people come in with some ideas in, when I say in, like stepping onto a path. And I'm not putting people down. I'm not criticizing. I'm just saying there's a difference between people who are sort of at a surface level, even though they're trying to enter a path, I mean, for whatever reason. There's a difference between those people and the people who have just been down into their guts, you know, on their knees, and have really been broken, you know, really, you know, so, so it's not, it's very complex, right, because people in recovery or essay addicts in general, you know, we're pretty traumatized and we're pretty dysfunctional. We've got a lot of damage. We've got parts of the brain that don't evolve correctly. Our relationships are just totally screwed up. Our ability to experience emotions is you know, really difficult. It's very easy to unplug and disconnect, right? But having done that, if, and this is sort of my big mission, right? You guys have been listening. This is, you know, having done that, it's the, it's the sort of like entering the temple. Do you know what I mean? 
it's sort of the idea of you're paying your dues to enter into the temple. And then when you, once you enter into the temple, then you have work to do, right? And you can sort of, you know, think you're in the temple, you know, think that you're coming to any law, oh, delusions of having arrived at a higher level of being or something, you know. But most of us in recovery don't really have those delusions, you know. I see those delusions in the people and the sort of, and the sort of the spiritual bypassers of these uh, spiritual communities that I've been around, you know. And I'm not talking about everybody. I mean, you can tell the difference. You, know, you can feel the difference. You know, some people are rooted and grounded. I mean, do you ever notice that some of these teachers are really tough? Why do you think they're so tough? They're trying to break through your bullshit, right? Um, but we want that. We want the ones that are going to make us feel better and give us that little band-aid and whatever. And it's just not. It's just not the real deal, right? It's not the real deal. And I'm, I'm so grateful for this book, Spiritual Bypassing, to put words and explanations to what I've been noticing for all this time. You're really, like, almost 30 years I've been trying to kind of understand what's going on and, and work with people in the past, um, I don't know, however many years I've been working with people um, with Buddhism and stuff since, like, 2005 or six, I guess. So I feel like, you know, there are these limitations, but... If we can just, if we just have the guts to, um, if we just understand for one thing that there are levels to go through, and wherever we think we are, we're, you know, we're probably not right. It's probably a, a place beyond words that we need to go to. Um, then, when we enter into a spiritual community or a spiritual teaching, if we're, you know, willing to commit, and this is really the big problem for people in recovery. It's like really being willing to commit to being non-distracted, being willing to commit to to not flee the heat. Do you know what I mean? Like you've done your fourth step, your eighth step, your ninth step, you've made amends, you're on an ongoing uh, program of spiritual action like we do in 12th step. But instead of just like parroting the rhetoric of 12th step over and over and over, year after year after year, and winding up in the funnel, I love this person, by the way, who who uh, put a, a review for the power of vow up on Amazon. She goes, he, he said, he shows us how to be, how to get out of the funnel without going down the drain. Thank you for that. God, that's so awesome. Um, but how to, you know, use what we, that, that sort of uh, ticket, you know, that we've, we've got our ticket to enter the temple with our, with our suffering and our work that we've done. And this could be for you. Who knows? Maybe this is something that's been revealed in your yoga practice or your meditation, your, your 10-day Vipassana or longer Vipassana sits or, or something else, you know, um, your psychotherapy or, or something. You know, I'm not saying that it's not possible any other way. I'm just saying that, you know, when we've dug down deep and gotten the dirt down into the roots a little bit, then we're sort of prepared, really, to go into the temple and start sweeping the floor and start lighting the candles, making the offerings and... Uh, sitting still and silent and letting our conscious awareness sink deeper into a wordless place, like my friend says. And it's not that we're blocking words. It's not that we're shutting off the mind. You can't do it. But it's a way of relaxing in deeper into an infinite dimension of silence. It's really infinite. And maybe it's scary for some people, you know. Maybe it's scary for all of us, right? But it's possible. And... It's not a rush. It's not an altered state. It's not a high. It's actually, once you start to kind of dip into who you really are, in my opinion, in my experience, right, um, it's much more uh, 
familiar. It's much more a sense of home and groundedness than the chatter and the jibber-jabber at the surface level, you know. So I'm talking about, I'm just introducing the idea of spiritual bypassing. And, and, and what, it really just, what it really just means is that, you know, if, you know, we, we have this, you know, this pre-conventional state, you know, when we're, we're babies, we're infants, we've got no ego boundaries, you know, we evolve into, you know, noticing that, hey, when I cry, my mom doesn't come um, every second. You know, there's a difference between me and the rest of the universe. It's like an ego boundary starts to form, you know. But we have that sort of sense of that sort of infantile spaciousness, right? That later on in life, when we come to teachings, when, when we wind up at the, at the you know, gate of the temple and we hear some words... We can like quickly rationalize, intellectualize, you know, grasp onto this, um, thinking that we're transcending and, and that we're advanced because we understand. Hey, yeah, I know what that I know what that feels like to you're connecting on some level, but really, there's a difference between relating to an infantile level and going through the gut churning, deep, you know, burning uh, work. For year after year after year after year, you know, really doing the work for a long period of time, and you're not we're not passing up the floors. It's like you're entering into the temple on level one, and then and then suddenly, you know, you're looking up at you know floor twelve, and you think you're there because you recognize uh, some uh, you know something up there, and you have to go through. You have to walk up your steps. You know, you have to take your steps and spend your time. Spend your time walking up the steps silently. Spend your time sitting on the step broken. You know, spend your time looking within and letting the dust settle within, you know. And it, it really is an ongoing long-term process. So in a way, I've always thought it was kind of like I'm, I'm, I'm simultaneously attracted and enamored with, you know, a lot of different types of spiritual teachings and really into the words and really into the what seems to be the wisdom but then I'm sort of at the same time going what why, why the fuck do these people act this way you know it's like I can deal with somebody in a, in a, in a 12 step meeting who's you know way more real right even though they're dysfunctional even though they're not trying to get to a next level really but they're way more real and grounded than half of these people on this that, are, that think they're on this trip you know so it's not a cut and dried black and white situation, you know. the 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 twelve step process is one way to dig deep and to you know get through the actual levels of spiritual realization. It's not the only way, but it's a really powerful, really really powerful way. You know, and it's important to also look with compassion on people that you come into a you know yoga class and they're like people are like sitting there with a sort of look on their face, you know, and. Who knows? I mean, for them, they're having an experience, you know. But in reality, when you try to have a conversation, you can't really, it, you can't really expect those people if you're in recovery. You can't really expect people, especially people that are really kind of, you know, in their early, you know, in their twenties, early thirties, that haven't done the work, that haven't had, you know, paid the dues, so to speak. You can't really expect them to understand it on the same level as people who have really, you know, somebody who gets sober at, you know, fifteen or eighteen or something, who's, you know sold themselves for crack out on the street and now they're now they're sober and you know 10 years sober and have gone to college and they walk into a yoga class and people are sitting there with this sort of glossy look on their face and it's like 
you can't really expect them to connect with you on the same level. However, you still have your work to do, right? So this is really what I've been involved with and how it's been for me the whole time that I've been, um, you know, trying to connect with spiritual teachings and spiritual practices as a person in recovery. So working on that, I wanted to give you the, uh, the definition of spiritual bypassing to see what your thoughts might be. You can always find me, Darren, at the12stepbuddhist.com. You can go to the12stepbuddhist.com and hit the Ask button and send in your questions. I've got a lot of questions backed up from a while. I mean, I answer them if they seem to be super urgent, but there's a lot of them there. And I'll try to start going over these as I do more podcasting, which, as you can see, it's way easier to podcast now with the nice um, iPhone setup. And I hope this mic this week sounds a little bit better than last week's. Um, I had the levels down before, so it might have sounded a little bit muffled. And speaking of sound, you can get the audiobook for The Power of Vow, my latest book, um, up on Amazon or Audible. You can get it free with an Audible membership. It's $19.99 um, if you just get it straight off the site. But the, the guy who is reading it has a really great voice, and I'm, I'm really happy about the way that turned out. And, of course, the Kindle version of The Power of Vow is out. I'm going to set it up for another free download for only two days. I'm not sure when. It'll be before September 27th. So depending on when you're listening to this, this is recorded in 2013. So um, keep your eyes out on Facebook and Twitter. You can follow me at 12 Step Buddhist to uh, keep up on that stuff. Of course, I always mention we have the Google Groups, Google+. Plus. Um, Facebook pages, and so forth. And don't forget the 12-Step Buddhist, still going strong, still getting a lot of support. And uh, grab a copy of that Power of Vow. It is a workbook and practice guide which is available to help you work through some really tough concepts in Buddhism, such as taking vows. And so far, I think that's good enough. I'm at 26 minutes for this podcast. I appreciate you. I appreciate you listening. I love all the positive feedback. I mean, I just I get hundreds and hundreds of downloads on this, you know, per day. So I know people are listening and are interested. And if you have comments, feedback, feel free to hit me up in whatever way um, you can find. I'm, I'm out there. I'm not hard to find. So uh, let me know your thoughts and feelings. And until then, you guys, um, see you on the path. Peace out. <laughs>